I am going to start this message with a question. Who here considers themselves to be a homebody? Homebody, okay, and not homeboy, Kyle, just to clarify, homebody. Okay, I love it. Maybe we rephrase that question this way. Which of these two Friday nights sounds more appealing to you in your current season? The first one is a night out on the town. Give me an epic restaurant and an awesome concert home by 12.30, Matt, at the absolute earliest, or Uber Eats, your favorite restaurant, straight to your front door, on your couch, favorite blanket, and a movie in bed by 9.30 p.m. Okay, who's saying, give me the night out on the town? Let me see you. Yep, okay, and where are my homebodies at? Shout out to uh, Nate Bergazzi for this joke right here. He is currently my favorite comedian. He's also a decent golfer, which means he's my hero. Um, but he jokes, in your 20s, when your friends say, dude, let's go, let's go out. You don't even ask questions, you're like, I'm in, man. I, let's go. Like, where, where are we going? Doesn't matter. I will light my apartment on fire. Let's go. And then you get to your 30s, you start asking questions. Where are we going? Will it be loud? <laughs> I am going to drive separate. How many times I've said that in the last just like two weeks? By the way, having kids is like the best excuse ever. They get you out of anything. Oh, I got kids, I gotta get home, guys, sorry. They're the best, they get me out of everything. And also I love them very much. Um, and then once you hit your 40s, what I hear is you're like, oh, I'm not going. And I'm mad that you even asked me. Gotta waste energy texting you back. I've got a crazy night planned with some chamomile tea in my favorite mug. <laughs> I'm staying in. And as you get older, that makes sense on the weekend. It might even be a good thing. Somebody needs to hear that. It might be a good thing to start going to bed before midnight, okay? You can leave now. That's all you needed from church today. Go to bed <laughs> at 10 p.m., all right? It's good for you. But here's my transition. What happens to our Fridays also starts to happen to our faith. Before you know it, it's I'm comfy, I'm timid, I'm tired, I'm a little scared, I'm fine. Does your faith need to get out more? Does your faith need to get out more? This is week two of a sermon series called We the Church, all about the church. Ryan kicked it off last week, it was amazing. We are journeying through the very beginning of Acts in order to declare what the church is and to clarify what the church is not in the name of being helpful because the more we understand God's plan for the church, the more you'll start to walk in your purpose, the, the purpose of the church that God's church is a lot like God's word. The more you learn it, the more you start to love it, the more you start to love it, the more you start to live it. Because we don't go to church, Red Rocks, we are the church. In other words, a crowd is not a church. A crowd is not a church. Amen, pastor, thank you, whoever said that, <laughs> I agree. A gathering is not a church. A church gathers and then scatters and then gathers to build each other up and pray and break bread with each other and commit ourselves to the story of the gospel and then scatters. And then midweek on a Wednesday night meets in, 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 in their group's home and breaks bread and encourages and then, and then scatters. A people gathers and a people scatters. The Holy Spirit 
It's not like the Holy Spirit dwells in buildings anymore. That used to be true until God tore the veil. The Holy Spirit dwells in people, which is why you're the church, which is why this gathering is so much better when you're here because when you show up, you bring a little bit of heaven with you. And when we leave, you take heaven with you. We are simply pockets of heaven and the kingdom of God scattered throughout Austin all week that happen to gather on the weekend. The church gathers, the church scatters, and the book of Acts is the story. Basically, it's my favorite book in the Bible, and it's the story of what happens when followers of Jesus have a faith that gets out more. The book of Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles, and it was written by a guy named Luke, the same guy who wrote Luke, okay, I was hoping somebody would get that, which means it's the second volume of a two-part story about Jesus and his church. Just like some TV shows start with a recap, previously on Ted Lasso, previously on the first 18 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> Meredith still lives in Seattle, even though everything that could possibly go wrong for a human being has gone wrong for her in Seattle. We highly recommend she moves somewhere else, but she's still there, I'll stop, but I'm not wrong. Previously on We the Church, previously on the Acts of the Apostles, after predicting his resurrection, Jesus is back from the dead, and we pick it up to review where Ryan taught from last week in Acts chapter one, verse one. In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Lean in right here. After giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. After giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So Ryan preached a message last week called The Five Functions of the Holy Spirit. It was amazing, go watch it if you missed it, but more than even just being amazing, it was helpful. And he made the case that, that companies that started in garages with humble beginnings, world-changing companies like Amazon and Apple, that those sort of movements actually make sense that qualified people with good ideas and grit can do amazing things, build successful companies, and change the world. It makes sense. In other words, I'd bet on Bezos, but I wouldn't bet on Peter, and I wouldn't bet on John, and Andrew, and James, and all the other disciples. There is no natural explanation for the church. There's the, it, it makes no sense. How do you explain the fact that this ragtag group of ordinary and uneducated people, and that's not my words, that's scripture's words to describe them, ordinary and uneducated gives me hope for our church, started the greatest movement of love in history, that has survived 2,000 years of criticism and persecution, not just survived it, but thrived in it, as if persecution somehow fans the, the flame of the church into a wildfire where the, the blood of martyrs has served nothing but just to be a seed for the church to grow more and more in countries today all over the world where it's illegal to do what we're doing right now, to gather and proclaim the name of Jesus. The underground church is blowing up right now. How do you explain that? There is no natural explanation for the church but there is a supernatural one and it's the Holy Spirit. He is our power, he is our protect, protector, he is our helper, our comforter and our convictor that we could have the greatest music in the world here and we do. We could have inspiring messages, we could have beautiful buildings and graphics and the best hospitality in Austin 
But without the Holy Spirit, we are nothing and we've got nothing. One of the greatest compliments I ever get as one of your pastors in the lobby is when people come up to me and say, man, it was just the Holy Spirit, the presence of God is so tangibly thick in this place. Makes me believe that God feels at home here. And um, if the Holy Spirit's ever not here, go somewhere else, man. (laughs) And I'll go with you. Like if God's not in this, all this is is a TED Talk and mass Christian karaoke. And just weird, okay? This would just be so weird if the presence of God wasn't in this place. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus gave instructions on building the church to those he chose. Instructions on building the church. One of my first thoughts is, okay, so that means we're not building an audience, we're building an army. If the church is not a place and the church is a people and you don't give an audience instructions, you entertain them. You give an army instructions. And I'll be the first person to say, at Red Rocks, we believe church should be enjoyed and not endured. (laughs) Amen, praise God for that. I grew up, sat in a lot of church services, sure sure felt like I'm enduring this for about an hour. So we believe, man, it should be enjoyed. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And right now, more than ever, the world needs laughter. And we will never apologize for our culture of celebration around here. We, We stole that from Heaven's Playbook. That's who we are, it's who we will always be. And yet at the same time, if the only reason you go to church is for entertainment or even just to feel good, in the spirit of being helpful to you, can I just recommend so many better venues and places for that? And I say that because I love you and I'm on assignment to declare what the church is and clarify what it's not. And if you only ask what can the church do for you or give to you, you will continue to go from church to church missing the point frustrated because that church wasn't for you what it was never designed to be for you in the first place until one day the only church legacy you have to pass on to your kids are your critiques of the 20 churches y'all kind of attended while they grew up. If you look for reasons to leave, you will always find them, especially here. But if you know the reasons to stay and plant yourself in the house of the Lord, something within you will begin to come alive and grow. Jesus instructs those he chooses. That word chooses. I wonder today if you know that you're chosen. I wonder today if you know what a miracle your very existence is. Not to get too eighth grade health class on you, but for that exact sperm to fertilize that exact egg at that exact moment, the very fact that you are you, all the events that transpired to get you into this room, to get you GBB ladies watching, watching right now on the screen, watching online at a later time, all the events that transpired, all because God had a personal message to deliver to you. You thought you were just coming to church to check church off the to-do list for this week or to make mom happy. Little did you know you have a divine appointment with the creator of the universe that wants you specifically to know. GBB, listen to me. You to know that you are chosen, that you are called, that you are made on purpose for a purpose by a God who has no shortage of reasons as for why. And I'm here to tell you that the good plans God has for you are inseparably connected to you being and building the church. You're part of a movement. The more you know that, the more your faith will start to get out there. 
And take it from a guy who was a biochemistry pre-med major in college and then became a pastor. I love God, I love science. If you tell a generation long enough that they came from nothing but a big bang and a random chance, and there's nothing after this and you're going nowhere, so make the most of today. Trouble is it's hard to walk in purpose today if there's nothing after this. But if you tell a generation long enough, you came from nowhere and you're going nowhere, don't be surprised when they start to live like it and act like it. That's why right now we have a generation that is so hungry, like starving, dehydrated for purpose and passion because Jesus handed a baton of purpose to build the church to those he chooses. And you need to know you're chosen and you're part of building something that will outlive this life. And when you know who you belong to, if I know my father, then I know my father has good plans for me. Not the other way around, not I know he has good plans for me and I'm starting to therefore get to know that he's good. Once you know him, the more you know him and his goodness, the more you'll start to understand how good he is to you and the purpose and plans he has for your life and you'll start to live like you believe it. That even in Ephesians chapter two, I wanna say verse 10, that it says we are God's workmanship created before the foundations of the world with specific things in mind, that God has specific things in mind for your life. This is 1 Corinthians 12, seven in the message. It says, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. This is the body of Christ. Everyone gets in on it, everybody benefits. I mean, the fact that God knows everything about you and always has, has good plans in mind for you, how much more purpose and meaning does that give your mundane Monday, your typical Tuesday? your We Work Wednesday, I don't know, can't think of one. <laughs> that you're not an accident, your life is not a mistake. That, hey, you didn't pick your birthday. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't decide which country you were gonna be born into. Acts chapter 17 makes it very clear, God has drawn out my boundaries and the time I would be alive. How much forethought does that show? I didn't do that, like you didn't decide to be here. You didn't decide one day to be alive or to be gifted the way you're gifted. God did that. God made you. The church needs what God has placed within you. The body of Christ is incomplete without you. By the way, that's what our welcome party is for. Every Saturday at 5.30, every Sunday at 10.30, sort of a kickstart to help you start discovering your calling and your purpose because the church is incomplete without you. Our dream that you would know that you're needed and known here. That's why we might sound like a broken record at times, challenging you to get in a group, get on a team, give, serve, go, sacrifice alongside of us because this people, this people, not this building, this people can truly change this city and change the world. I'm not kidding. There's nothing this group of people can't do, not just for their sake, but for yours. Why? Because you will never step into the abundance of purpose that God has for you outside of being and building the church. I'll say it this way, on the screen behind me, God chose a people to reach all people. That's his pattern from the Old Testament with Abraham and the Jewish people. 
that through this people, I'm gonna be a light to a dark world. That's his pattern in the new covenant era that we now live in, my church. God chose a people to reach all people. God chooses, Jesus commissions, the Holy Spirit empowers. Look at verses eight through 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth, including Austin. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. We don't have time, but that's crazy. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? What are we waiting for? Why are you staring into the clouds? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven is coming back one day. We'll come back in the same way you have seen him go. In other words, like what are we waiting for? Has not God chosen? Did not Jesus commission? The last thing he said, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, leaving instructions on building his church. Is this life not a vapor and a mist here today and gone tomorrow? What are we waiting for? Your, your faith needs to get out more. We got, a, we got a church to build. We got a gospel to preach. We got a people to reach. Are you not the salt of the earth? placed here as the, the kingdom flavors of heaven to preserve the things of God wherever he has placed you? Are you not a light to the world? You might say, man, my place of work is dark. I would say to you, good. That's why God put you there. That we don't just gather, but he scatters us like lights, like stars across a, an infinitely black sky. He's a divine engineer, the same way the engineer or architect of this building scattered the lights around this room in a way to maximize the brightness rather than putting every light in that back corner. I've heard it said Christians are like manure. When you spread them out, things grow. But when they, it's all gathered together in a pile, it starts to stink. I didn't come up with that, so don't email me. But I like it. I sure do, I like it a lot. We are the church. We gather to scatter salt of the earth, light of the world, the goers and sharers, the storytellers of the gospel, and it's so much more than an urgent obligation. It is the greatest privilege there is. And then Acts chapter two tells us what happens next, starting in verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And pause really quick, because I want you to know it's absolutely crazy that happened on Pentecost. Pentecost, just to give you a 10-second history lesson, it's this celebration that occurs between the, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. So I know I'm not talking to a room of farmers right now. I don't know how your barley harvest was this year, Matt. Mine was okay. We'll see about the wheat harvest. But they would gather before going back into the fields and they would have a, a, a festival of celebration. So, so to bring this into modern day in Austin, think, think Austin city limits or South by Southwest, like a massive gathering of people. And it's in the middle of that, that God decides to move in an undeniable way. 
Like he doesn't check with your schedules before he decides to move. God doesn't consult your mood before he's about to do something. God didn't call me a month ago and go, hey, Doug, um, I know uh, you don't have a larger building yet and the HVAC system, who knows what it's gonna do. It's either not gonna work or it's gonna like crank, okay? Um, And this is gonna take sacrifice and schedules changing. You're gonna have to rally the people to do Saturday night services because I'm trying to reach a ton of people in Austin. And can I pencil you in? God doesn't pencil us in. (laughs) He moves. He is the disruptor. He is the itinerary interrupter. That's our God. And he doesn't, there it is, and he doesn't need perfect conditions to reach people. He did that at Pentecost. God met me, Ryan, and Ethan at the University of Colorado the year it was the number one party school in the nation. And we had the number one party house. And it was that year that God decided to grab us and change everything about our lives everything about our lives. Nobody goes to see you as a freshman. Nobody goes to UT as a freshman thinking, I'm going to this school to meet Jesus, but they do every day. Nobody went to Pentecost that year thinking, I'm gonna rendezvous with the Holy Spirit, but they did. People in U-Hauls right now moving to Austin searching for something. Nobody's thinking, I'm moving to this city to experience God and meet Jesus but they are, and they will. God chooses a people to reach all people. And here's where it gets crazy, verse three. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's crazy. That would be like, I just start preaching this in perfect German. And you grew up in Germany, you're like, he's even nailing the accent right now, I don't know. And I've never taken a German course before in my entire life. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. A crowd came together in bewilderment. One of my favorite quotes of all time, something John Wesley said back in the day, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn because people are so hungry for passion, so hungry for purpose. By the grace of God, for the glory of God, I believe that's what's happening here. This place is made up of hundreds of people who didn't know Jesus until three months ago, and hundreds of people who were brought up in the church, born, popped out like on the altar, first words, Holy Spirit, but only ever knew religion until they met one of you hungry for passion and purpose. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill buildings with people. The Holy Spirit fills people with purpose and passion. The rest of Acts 2, we see Peter preach a sermon about Jesus to the people who killed Jesus. And it's so bold what he says. Basically, he says to this crowd, y'all killed Jesus. And he was the Messiah, is the Messiah. And God rose him from the grave on the third day. And everybody is crazy. There's repentance and there's, people are getting baptized by the thousands. In fact, Acts 2, 41, I'll read you just this one verse. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Quick plug to get baptized on May 6 and 7. (laughs) And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. And I love that scripture records that because we're part of, we're part of that same story. This series about we, the church, you know this is, this is not about Red Rocks. We just happen to call ourselves Red Rocks. This is about the church and bigger than the church in Austin and even in our nation and even all around the globe right now is echoed through the last 2000 years of history made up of faithful men and women who right now, according to scripture, are sort of in this divine grandstands as a great, great cloud of witnesses cheering us on right now as the baton is in our hands to build the church. One day, one day, hundreds of years from now, historians will look back on this era and this generation, the baton in our hands, and they will tell stories about us building the church. The only question is, what will they write? Right now we have this cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And I love to believe that somewhere in the records of heaven, scripture still is recorded. Because I know it would say two weeks ago in Austin, Texas, 131 people were added to their number that day and gave their lives to Jesus. And in all of Red Rocks across all locations, 1,026 people were added to their number that day. I mean, that just, that makes you kind of feel like we popped out of the Bible, you know? And boldness happened. I mean, when you start to understand that God has chosen you and Jesus has commissioned you, that you're not just here to live saved, you're here to live sent. Jesus saying, I'm not just saving you for you, I'm also sending you for them. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's gonna empower you you start, to, you start to understand that, you start to live with boldness. And I guess boldness is the theme that I wanna leave you with today. Because there was so much boldness in that early church. You think about Peter preaching that message and John preaching, preaching messages and them showing hospitality to those who hated them. And, and everything they got, miracles, the things they got to be a part of, even in the face of opposition and persecution to the point where in Acts chapter four, Peter and John are brought into the courts and they are threatened by the authorities, shut up about this Jesus guy or we're gonna murder you. We're gonna kill you. We're gonna throw you into jail. And you knew they took it serious because they just watched these same guys crucify their leader a month before. And their reaction to that, I mean, if that's you and you're in those courts and you get, you get those kinds of death threats and you know it's legit, what's your response to that? Like, I'm walking out of those going, God, you, you gotta keep me safe here. And I'm probably benching myself for about a year. My generation, millennials, like one of our favorite words, I gotta process this. If Peter and John are millennials, that's like 12 years of processing that, you know? But what happens, what do they do? Acts 4, 29 through 30, what do they pray for? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God, help us be more bold. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So let me leave you with this rhetorical question. On a scale of one to 10, what is your boldness level? Your faith in this season, what is your boldness level? I picture those angels saying to the, that 120 saying, why are you staring into the clouds? What are we waiting for? It's time for our faith to get out. We got a, we got a church to build. We got a, we got a world to reach. Like Jesus, the last thing he said to them, I'm not taking you out of this world. 
I'm leaving you right smack in the middle of it. My, my church is not to be a shelter from the world, it's to be a light to the world. I'm leaving you in the world, not of the world, a light to the world for the sake of the world, to stand out like a lighthouse. I picture just a, a dark ocean with boats with no anchor, searching for some kind of shore, and you are to be my lighthouse. That's what it means to live called, not just saved. It's comfy to come to church. It's our calling to be the church. It's comfy to live saved. It's your calling to live sent. So on a scale from one to 10, what is your boldness level in this season? And um, mine is, would probably surprise you, I think, how low it's been recently given my profession. And this is, by the way, this is easy. Um, because y'all are nice and you amen everything I say. So I could talk about Jesus all day in here. They say the two greatest fears are public speaking and sharks. So I guess I'm just weird because I'd public speak to sharks like any day. I love sharks, I love this. Um, but at the gym, at the grocery store, on a FaceTime with an old friend, being bold about the most important thing in my entire life, my everything, my faith, is a, that's a different story. What is your boldness level in this season? And here's my challenge to you, because I, I've said this to you before, we are not agents of salvation. It's not on you to save your friends, to save your family. God does that. We are agents of invitation to say, hey, come, come and come taste and see how good this God is. Can I invite you to church? Can I? Um, but here's my challenge to you, should you choose to accept it before this series is over in about a month, is to add a play to your evangelism playbook. Because for a lot of us, maybe the only play in your playbook is invite them to church so Doug, Ryan, or E could explain the gospel. And hear my heart, that is absolutely beautiful and amazing and it's working and heaven's getting more crowded and that's the point. But what if you went from an inviter to an inviter slash sharer of the greatest story that will ever be told? And what if before this series was over, you took a coworker, whether it was at Summer Moon or the break room or on a FaceTime, wherever, and you told him the gospel? And you might say, well, I don't, I'm not good at that. I don't know what I would say, I don't. And I would say this, I think you know more than you think you do. It's in that moment the Holy Spirit will, will empower you and you might experience him unlike ever before because you need him. And if you wanna prep, go listen to the Easter message from two weeks ago, but take notes like it's not for you, like it's for them. Because when you have to take this information and pass it on, and package it and go, how do I wanna explain this? The heart, the, the mind behind this. How do I, what's my language for this? You start listening like you have to teach it, it'll root more deeply in your heart than it ever has just listening for yourself. Because I need to be equipped, I need to be ready to pass this on. And I just think something on the inside of you will awaken and come alive. Like I said, like we popped out of the Bible, that's how it feels. 
I bet you'll feel on that day, I, I just feel like I popped out of the Bible and the outcome's on his hands, but the obedience is in mine. And you can do this, you can do this. What is your boldness level in this season? Does your faith need to get out more? What's been on my heart all week is, is lions and the difference between, um, I just love lions. I, I don't know what it is, but um, I had a privilege of going on a safari in Kenya with Sam a few years ago, and we got to get up close to a pride of lions. And it was one of the most wild, untamed experiences of my entire life. And you have a reverence and a fear because you know this thing could kill me so fast if it wanted to. And even our guide in the truck, you could tell he would talk to us, but he would never take his eyes off the lions. It's just majestic and powerful. And you contrast that to like seeing the lions at the zoo. And it's still, they're still beautiful and majestic, but you can just sort of feel like this thing's made for something more and it's sort of been tamed and domesticated. Um, it's like when I watch When Wild Animals Attack and you see people that have pet tigers or pet lions and the lion like attacks them. I have a really hard time not rooting for the lion. You can judge me if you want, but, oh, I can't believe it attacked me. Oh, the apex predator? <laughs> for real? I just, I don't think you domesticate what God made to be wild. And I just really believe the pandemic for a lot of us has domesticated your faith and it was made for the wild. It was made to get out more. And somewhere along the way, our, our biggest prayers as a body of believers shifted from Lord, send us and, and, and make us bold to God, keep us safe because it's crazy out there right now. I just can't help but look around at a country full of rooms like this on a weekend full of domesticated lions who have so much more boldness and fierceness in their hearts and you give it three years of just being constantly inundated with everything to be afraid of, and I feel it too. And all of a sudden it starts to lull you to sleep. It starts to, hey, I'm good, I'm tired, I'm cozy, I'm fine. And so what does it look like for you to walk out your front door and go, Holy Spirit, I'm not hiding, make me bold today. I dare you to send somebody my way that needs to hear the craziest story the universe will ever tell. I dare you to send somebody my way today. What is it for you in this season that's gonna sort of jolt your soul and wake you up? Uh, you guys know me, I'm an evangelist at heart and not just about Jesus, but if I'm passionate about something that I believe is gonna make your life better, I will get you to believe it with me. So whether that's Jesus or Marvel movies or golf or the Chase Sapphire credit card, don't tell Dave Ramsey or Mitch Nelson, or ice baths, I am that guy. I am, I am the ice bath guy, okay? So is Ryan, um, been doing it for three years now. This is me in my DIY uh, freezer converted to ice bath in my garage that I keep at 33 degrees Fahrenheit. And you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm looking at you like you're crazy because I just cherish feeling alive and awake and whatever I have to do to get that feeling, I'll do it. And you guys, I, for the last three years, probably five days a week on average, three minutes every single morning, I've been in there. And I never wanna get in, 
and I'm so glad for the rest of the day that I did. And the reason is because nothing wakes you up and makes you feel alive like cold water does. And I'm not trying to make a sales pitch to me. It's, guys, it's not about the decreased inflammation or the fact that you burn like 300 calories in three minutes. It's, it's, it's the energy for me, okay? Because I'm tired all the time. Like all of us, we're, we spend, you spend a lot of money trying to wake up. Starbucks is gonna make $38 billion this year because you're trying to wake up by selling you caffeinated ice cream that you pretend is coffee, all right? And I just, our souls are sleepy, our souls are timid, our souls are scared, our souls are comfy and cozy. And metaphorically speaking, I just go, I think there's an ice bath in front of you for your soul that God has placed there and you've known it for a while that this is my next step, this is what obedience looks like, this is whatever it is, because you, here's what happens when you get into a real ice bath. You kind of start hyperventilating and your mind goes to fight or flight mode and goes into shock and thinks, I'm going to die. What did I just do? Why did I do this? But then you start breathing and as crazy as you breathe, you, you realize something kind of cool that not only am I okay, but I've never felt this awake or this alive in my entire life. I didn't wanna jump in here, and now I wouldn't change it for the world. And so speaking of your soul, what is that? That's why I'll say generosity is like an ice bath for your soul. I've never met a sleepy soul that lives a life of sacrifice. Because you, you give like beyond your means, or you start tithing in this economy right now where everything's so shaky and unsteady, and you start hyperventilating, and you go, oh my gosh, what did I just do? But then you breathe, and you remind yourself who gave you that breath in the first place, and something within you starts to, to come alive, and something wild starts to wake back up, and nothing, and I mean nothing, wakes up your soul. Like generosity, like sacrifice, like sharing, like obedience, like being the church. You ever take a nap like on a Saturday afternoon and it's such a, it's so deep and you wake up, your alarm goes off and you're like, whoa, like, did I just miss the bus? Except it's Saturday and you're 30. <laughs> like that was deep, man. I don't, I don't think I can snap out of this today. I'm gonna, I'll try again tomorrow, go back to bed. I just, man, I, I think for a lot of us, that's how our souls feel right now. And we're so used to coming to church. And it's so easy for it to turn into my way and what do I want and consumer mentality and what can this give to me? And it's the moment it starts to become less about you and more about we are the church of Jesus Christ. God chose a people to reach all people, the only organization that exists for its non-members where the Father has chosen you, the Son has commissioned you, and the Holy Spirit has promised to be with you and is with us today. And if that's true, man, God is writing the craziest story in this church right now, and I guess my message to you is be awake for it. Don't miss it. We read Acts and think that was the good old days, but if whatever God speaks into existence cannot be contained, I think of him saying, let there be light. And ever since that moment and that loud bang of the universe exploding out in the speed of light in every direction and has ever since and is right now. And 2000 years ago, he spoke the church into existence in the same way. 
It cannot be stopped. It cannot be contained. And if that's true about the church, then it means her destiny is greater than even her history. Be awake for it. Amen. Will you guys stand? So Holy Spirit, right now in this upper room, would you move in a powerful, powerful way? Would you reawaken dreams? Would you give new dreams? Would you give vision? Would you give such clarity as to maybe what the step that you want us to take this week is that scares us? What is that step outside of my door? Is it sharing? Is it giving? Is it that bit of obedience? Is it, God, I remember so many moments of hopping into that ice bath for my soul. I remember even moving here five years ago with Sam and a group of friends to start this church, feeling so scared and so alive. And I will take that combo any day. So we pray that dangerous prayer, God, light a fire, wake us up, revive our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.